0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Cal Ori back to the show, who is the author of The Healing Powers of Honey. And she's actually written an entire series, The Healing Powers of Olive Oil, The Healing Powers of Vinegar, The Healing Powers of Chocolate. And today we're going to be focusing on The Healing Powers of Honey, because honey is so interesting Imagine this. One third of the food supply is pollinated by bees. They pollinate more than 90 crops and they're woven into our food chain. Not only is honey an antioxidant and a superfood, it's helpful in curing many diseases. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it from Cal Ory about the healing powers of honey. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Kim. Good morning, everybody.
0: First of all, I'll lay the context for honey having healing powers when a lot of us have been told that if we have honey, it's going to turn itself into sugar in our body and create diseases.
1: That's true. A lot of conservative nutritionists, well, a few of them that I spoke with said, you know, sugar is sugar. That includes honey. And they really didn't get it, but during my research, I went a little bit further, a lot further, actually, around the world with experts with MDs, PhDs, and um, nutritionists who get it that honey is antioxidant-rich. It does have some minerals and vitamins, but it's the antioxidants that make it the healthier sweetener choice rather than table sugar or those artificial sweeteners you'll see advertised on TV. Honey is totally natural, and we're talking about the pure, raw, unprocessed honey. Um which is much healthier than table sugar and high fructose corn syrup. And that's another thing you'll see in these um, like drinks you buy at the store um, and different uh, um, processed foods, cookies and cakes. If you look at the, the nutritional label and if it says high fructose corn syrup, stay clear. If you see all natural honey, much better for you.
0: But we don't really know. Most of us who are consumers how to buy honey and the distinctions between honey from this market or from this area. And I'd like you to brief us a little bit about this. I mean, your book is really good. I found it enchanting to read and very informative. It was a wonderful adventure about honey and the bees. But what are we supposed to buy and why?
1: Oh, well, there's been a lot. Of media coverage about that when you buy honey at the grocery store, your supermarket, you're not even getting the pure raw stuff. You're not even getting honey that it's unadulterated and it's it includes all these contaminated things that you don't want to eat that are bad for you. But again, um, there's a there's a lot of large companies, um, honey companies. They sell their honey at large supermarkets, and where the honey is fine, it just so you just have to look for the right. For, you have to look at the label, and if it says all natural honey, yes, it is probably all natural honey. For one, Sue Bee Honey, they're very, they're very, very large company. It comes in the little bear, and they sent me all different types of their honeys, and they're upgrading where they they sell pure honey, raw honey. Um, all natural honey premium honey see so you just and well, also, you a, lot, a lot of people believe you should go to your local beekeeper and then get honey right from the source. You know you're getting it from the honeybees. But not everybody is so lucky. I did travel in my research 50 miles to Reno, rural, rural Reno, and I did hook up with the beekeeper and I did come home with jars of honey straight from his honeybees, his queen bees that I saw. Um, again, not everybody has that convenience, but A lot of people do. Still, you can get good honey at health food stores. Probably that would be your first choice. First choice local. Second health food stores third supermarkets and before third online in my book at the end I have a comprehensive um, online list where you can get honeys all over the world where you can be guaranteed that these honeys are natural the pure stuff the good stuff the healthy stuff that has the antioxidants that I'm talking about and those are the things that you find in fruits and vegetables that keep your body your immune system healthy and can stave off cancer heart disease Disease, keep you living a more quality life and help you live longer.
0: Isn't it true that the reason to go to a local beekeeper or a local store where you know the source of the honey is because it has something to do with your immune system? In other words, the pollen is local.
1: Well, that's what they say. It's anecdotal. It hasn't really been proven any groundbreaking studies, but um, a lot of beekeepers and followers fans will tell you that if you get the local honey within a 50-mile radius, it'll help you stave off um, allergies. I um, definitely am prone to sinus infections. I had a killer headache the day I visited that beekeeper, and it's like I felt like I was going to a drug dealer. I need my honey. And I <laughs> so wanted to try it then and there to see if it would work, but it doesn't work like, you know, immediately. He, he told me, I think it, he's been told by the, his fans, his customers, that it can take up to two weeks at least to see if there's a difference. Um, because at that time I was re- receiving so many honeys from all around the world. I don't think I just stayed with his. So does honey help with sinus and infections? Um, It may. Um, Personally, I I do believe that it does help, but again, it's anecdotal. While there are a lot of um, groundbreaking studies about honey uses, um, you know, scientific studies that prove that it can help stave off like coughs um, topically used uh, manuka honey definitely proof that it works um, as far as for allergies it's still um, folklore and anecdotal
0: now you still emphasize that the darker honeys are where the action is
1: why uh, yeah that's what I learned um, it, it it takes a while to get used to it I admit it's not these um, the first chapter I have a list the healing honey parade and I list about ten more than ten honeys that have the most antioxidants and they're the darker honeys, such as buckwheat, dark and rich, high in antioxidants. Buckwheat, it's a very strong tasting honey. Um, I I did it, but I'd rather <laughs> It's like dark chocolate. When you you know if you've never really preferred dark chocolate, and you just start eating seventy percent to eighty percent cocoa content chocolate, it's it's a little bit hard to enjoy and smile and say you love it. You sort of have to work your way up. Like goldenrod, that is a good honey. It's amber. It's darker. It's golden. on the choose for medicine, medicine, medical reasons. Manuka honey. Again, some people do take it. Um, uh, they do consume it, but more. But it's used mostly topically, um, and it has awesome antibacterial properties, and that's why it's used topically for staph infections, for wounds. Personally, I did try it. I was sent a lot of it from Australia and New Zealand, where it's very expensive, um, hard to get, but if they are using it in hospitals in the United States. And then back to my story, I did, uh, I cut my foot in the summer when I was doing the research and i didn't want to rush off to the doctor and or take antibiotics and i remembered i had the manuka honey it's dark amber orange and i actually put put it on the bottom of my foot i swear to god just like apple cider vinegar within a couple of days my foot was healed it was magical it's awesome and it does have anti-inflammatory and antibacterial properties so it it was wonderful um wildflower is another healing, um, definitely healing honey. It's light golden, so it's not that dark. Again, I suggest going a little bit, going with these honeys and then moving up to the darker ones. Um, Hawaiian Christmas berry, it's rich golden, high in antioxidants. Um, blueberry, which is really great Um, tasting, golden in color, rich in antioxidants. There's so many. Um, I have a whole chapter where I talk about more than 30 varietals, is what you call them, different flavors. Um, And those are are tastier than the ones I mentioned, I must admit. Uh, But there's just a huge world of flavors of honey. It just... And once you start trying them, it's like chocolate, you want to keep going. You'll be surprised, you know, most people are familiar with orange blossom honey. Right. um, Which is good for cooking, um, baking, and just to put on your toast or drizzle over fruits. Um, but once you get into the different honey flavors, like alfalfa that's that's the kind that I got from Reno avocado blackberries just awesome oh my god i I baked with that um, I put that in tea. Um, clover honey is another very common one that most people are familiar with. Eucalyptus, fireweed, I was afraid to taste that. It comes from the Pacific Northwest, but it was really good.
0: It's kind um, of like wine, isn't it? It's just as involved.
1: It's a fruity, spicy, and sweet flavor. And, um, it's, uh, it's light in color, kind of a water white um, I actually tried it. I teamed it with an all natural peanut butter on a piece of whole grain bread. Uh, it was really, it, it was, it was pleasant. I, I, you know, fire rain, you would think, ooh, this is icky, but it wasn't. It was really tasty wood, le- tasty, uh, leather wood. That's another darker amber color. Um, it was okay. I dripped, I dripped, um, I tried all of these actually, the ones I talk about. I dripped a small amount of this dark syrup. It was like maple syrup and molasses, sort of a mixture. And I uh, I dropped it over whole grain French bread from um, that we get here in the Sierras at Lake Tahoe. And I teamed it with a couple pieces of sharp cheddar cheese. It was really um, something you'd want to serve your friends, kind of sophisticated. It was really good.
0: You mentioned in Honey Fights Fat, and I thought that was a provocative part of your book because I'm sure people relate to honey like agave almost, but it's not. Now, Mike and Stuart McKins, authors of The Hibernation Diet, talk about how they believe fueling up your liver before bed with one or two teaspoons of honey will optimize fat-burning potential they say during sleep, your body uses fat for energy during rest and recovery, and for this to occur, the liver must be adequately stocked with fuel reserves to get through the eight-hour fast. Do you accept that? What is your stance on that?
1: Well, I did include it in the book. Um Personally, I haven't done it for that reason, Um I I believe that honey fights that for a few different reasons. One, it boosts your energy and that has been proven in studies with athletes and that's go- that goes back to ancient times um, where, you know, warriors would have honey that would give them long-lasting energy. I personally am a devoted swimmer and I will take a teaspoon, one teaspoon of honey sometimes before I swim and it just gives me more energy. Plus, Just one teaspoon is only only 21 calories.
0: Now, wait a minute. That's of dark honey, right?
1: It doesn't matter. Any type of honey will give you more energy. It gives you that energetic, sweet boost.
0: But is any kind of honey only 21 calories a teaspoon? Correct, correct. I never knew that.
1: Right. A lot of people don't, you know. They'll say, oh, I stay away from honey because, you know, it's fattening. But that's so funny because I'm, I'm little. I'm size four. Um, 120, 118 pounds by five. And I've maintained this forever. And one reason I'm not going to say it's just because of honey, but if you have a sweet tooth and you take one teaspoon of honey, um, it really, you won't crave, um, unhealthy, uh, sweet foods, you know, pastries that have high fat and empty nutrition. Plus, back to giving you energy, then you'll burn calories. And I believe if you burn calories, you're fighting fat. You're boosting up your metabolism, so it helps you to stay lean. Plus, um, if you team it with vinegar, which is another fat burner, that's definitely a way to lose unwanted pounds and body fat. I include a two-day honey vinegar diet um created by a, a nutritionist. And it's awesome. If you want to just dump five pounds, unwanted pounds, you know, as a jumpstart diet, if you have more weight to lose or if you just ha- have an extra, you know, five or six pounds from the holidays <clears throat> with the honey and vinegar diet, eating good, healthy um fruits, vegetables, and lean protein along with the honey and vinegar together in water or tea, it is such an easy way to lose weight. It's guaranteed. It's just guaranteed um, to help you lose that unwanted weight, especially if you put it in green tea, which isn't the most flavorful tea, right. but also it's known as to be fat-fighting fat as well. So then you have three things working for you. The honey, which can make it taste better. The vinegar, which can, you know, kind of take that bite off the tartness of vinegar, apple cider vinegar, and green tea. And teaming it with eating these foods that I mentioned, like berries in the morning, uh, maybe turkey, lean turkey, or chicken for lunch with dark greens, leafy greens. And then for dinner, um, just fresh fish. And vegetables and some berries. And then along with drinking eight glasses of water a day and, um, with tea, or you could put, again, you could put the honey and the, uh, and the vinegar and the tea or the water to help boost your metabolism and burn fat. Again, you'll lose weight.
0: You also talked about how with granulated white sugar, it's a hundred percent sucrose, but honey is made of glucose and fructose and has antibacterial properties in it that help keep tooth decay at bay, so even possibly switching out the sugar. A lot of people, even though they know sugar's bad, are still on massive amounts of sugar. You know that, right? Right, right. How long did your research take you before you wrote the book?
1: Well, the way it goes, I get the idea, I get the assignment, and I start the day that The day I send the idea and I get a gut instinct, it's going to be a go, I start my research. So that was back in March um, last year. And uh, when was this released? Basically a year, one year for each book. Um, it takes me about seven months to, it takes me three months to write it, um, three months to four months to research it. And then when it comes back with edits, I'm still kind of in the research mode, adding little things here and there. So one year for, for each book that That's I do with the Healing Power series is is about right. Um, even after I write the book, I still learn new things and add it when I'm promoting the books. But a year a year, but you know, even though the writing process and the research process for this book, The Healing Powers of Honey, took me one year, I do share many anecdotes back to when I was five years old. And I, in each chapter, I have an intro anecdote as I grow up from five into grade school, into my teen years, and adulthood until now on how honey um, affected me and my life, and how you know, at five years old, I'm drawing a, a, a honeybee in kindergarten and having graham crackers, you know that that do that does use honey, and then I kind of graduate as I get older and older and older um into using honey into using honey in different ways and i just find it um kind of it's very intriguing how honey has uh, how I've grown with honey throughout the decades in my life. It, it, it's sort of like I give my memoirs of honey and the honeybee and how it's, how it's changed my life to now where I feel like I'm really a sophisticated honey connoisseur, so to speak, kind of like with chocolate. You know, with chocolate as a child, I was used to milk chocolate, but now I wouldn't touch that if you paid me. It's only dark chocolate infused with spices and and herbs. You know, I've become a Chocolate snob, I've become a honey snob. <laughs> and, but I have you, it, you and
0: chocolate snob and honey snob.
1: You, I have, I have, and I, I actually, I just finished the the latest uh, healing powers book, um, the healing powers of coffee. So you can imagine, I'm a snob there too, big time. I'm grinding my beans every morning, and I'm getting beans. I've got, I've received beans from all over the world, and it's just, it's the same thing with honey. Um, you just become more. Are sophisticated with what it can do health wise, and with your palate, and you just can't go back to just one kind. You just you go to the better, the better varietals.
0: I did not know that honey was considered an aphrodisiac.
1: Um, that was a tough one. Um, do you have the book in front? front? I do. What I page do. Is that on what page?
0: It's on one forty five. Says honey love. Years.
1: I think one reason why I think it adds energy, definitely, Um, lackluster libido, finding your groove.
0: It's in the section on 145 on Honey Love also. Right.
1: Yeah, right. But I'm looking at it first, the libido. If you have a kind of low libido, which can happen to um, almost anyone at any age, you know. In your 20s, if you're in college, you know, sex is the last thing on your mind, and in your 30s when you're pregnant or you're going through PMS, you, you may lack libido, but um, here I'm saying that uh, the Honey RX to use to incorporate a small amount of royal jelly into your diet, now I received royal jelly and I was kind of a chicken to use that. What
0: is it? Say what it is for us.
1: It's it's um it's a really it comes from the bee products itself, straight from the hive. And I received the jelly itself. It's funny because somebody the other day wants it from me. And I use so little and it's very pricey. But you get it at your health, uh, your health foods, uh, store. And it comes from the queen bee and it's a jelly and it has this weird stuff on top. It just, um, it looks like, um, caviar in a way, little black droplets. It's very strong. Um, it's not that sweet. It's hard to digest. I don't mean literally to digest. It's, just, it's not that tasty, but it's full of antioxidants, and it's extremely healthful, um, according to the health, health food store gurus. Um they one suggested to um start putting it in your smoothies and cereal kind of camouflage its taste because again it really isn't that tasty but this can up your libido um again anecdotal i'm sure there are no groundbreaking scientific studies on that one
0: It sounds like the B version of royal maca <laughs> Right
1: right 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 you know Um, Also, I'm saying that um, some people believe that it can stave off symptoms of PMS, you know, the cravings, the crankies, and the cramps, Um, and also can lessen, it is believed, to lessen female and male menopausal uh, woes, such as fatigue and impotence. Um, According to one health food store, Honey Guru, we call her the bee girl So she really believes in it, and actually they are the people that sent it to me. Um, I probably... And maybe I should try that. I'm just thinking, you know, when I work really hard, um, and I am a worker bee, um, I, libido is the last thing on my mind. I've always been like that back in graduate school in my 30s. Um, I did have a libido for sure. I'm a healthy woman. But um, when I get really focused, um, you know, it's it's just, I just put that on the back burner.
0: Now, We want to talk a little bit about the difficult part of what's happening to the honeybee population since it's declining. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that the value of bees, you say, to U.S. crops runs into billions of dollars, much more than the value of the honey produced by the honeybees.
1: Correct, correct. A lot of people, I didn't even know, I really didn't even know until I started my research and I include a whole chapter on the vanishing honeybee. When I joined the research, I, I watched a documentary on it and it brought me to tears, I mean real tears, because it focused on three beekeepers. And their colonies, and they one, all three of them, their colonies were affected. Colonies. That means fifty to sixty thousand honeybees in one colony. Okay, and a lot of these people—that's their livelihood. That's how they 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 survive. They make their money selling the the honeybee product, the honey itself, and the products like um, beeswax candles. Um, honey is used for beauty products, um, uh, lip lip balm, uh, soaps. Uh, lotions, but also a lot of the beekeepers, um, transport their honeybees for pollination reasons. So this is their livelihood, their job. And what I learned in that documentary and my research that a lot of these honeybees are, and are just vanishing, a, a mysterious die off, and they call that colony collapse disorder. And I talk to really, I mean, PhDs at UC Davis, to Penn State researchers. I talk to the guys, you know, with, uh, high up there that know what they're talking about, and they admit to me nobody knows why these bees are vanishing. Can I
0: tell you why I think they're vanishing? Sure. Go ahead. I think it's a combination of the genetically modified foods and the chemtrails in combination.
1: Right, right. And a lot of people, the chemtrails, I noticed, I, I'm not sure if I even mentioned the word. Did I mention the word chemtrails in the book? I might have left that out, and I might have left out the electromagnetic. Yes, spectators. indeed, and that
0: too. It's a three pronged problem.
1: Right, right. But I did, when I talked to the scientist, um, the theories uh, that are definitely out in the fore are definitely out there in in the forefront are they include climate change, diet, mites, pesticides definitely, and viruses, um, also the stress of traveling for pollination of crops, and the usage of cell phones, believe it or not, perhaps yeah, the to powers. The yeah, are in the mixed bag of possibilities while the bees are vanishing and leaving their beekeepers out of work in shock by losing half or more of their prized colonies to an unknown cause. But the bottom line is I and I did talk to a lot of beekeepers too. Nobody knows for sure. Nobody, nobody knows. Um and so you're wondering, well, who cares? You know, so we don't have honey, you know, I can live. but
0: No, it's not about that. It's about yeah. that it's infused into the entire food supply yeah, think creation.
1: Again. Think again. Um, how will the die-off of the honeybee affect you in the food chain? Well, get this, millions of acres of U.S. fruits, vegetables, oilseed, um, they rely on insect pollination, and that includes the sacred honeybees. And so this little bee, it, it pollinates, um it pollinates our crops, our home gardens, our wildlife habitat, and don't forget, I mean, if, if you're thinking, if you're thinking, okay, you don't like fruits and vegetables that much, you'll just eat your meat and potatoes, well, you may not. <laughs> eating that, you know, that steak or hamburger because it moves up the chain. It could affect the beef and the dairy products because the cows, they eat the alfalfa and the clover. And remember I mentioned the alfalfa honey is what I got in Reno. Well, when I drive to Reno, I see all the cows, you know, in the pastures and so it will affect their food. And so it's going to move up. The food chain. If this continues, now this colony collapse disorder was founded. It was discovered back in 2006. Some people believe that it's actually been going on for 50 years, but 2006 is the year that you'll see if you Google it. Um, and worse, if this if this continues to be a, a, a massive problem worldwide. It could affect our food chain and it would decline the diversity and the quality and quantity of our food for us and our pets as well. And so, you know, in the book I mentioned, I started getting images of the doomsday films like Soylent Green, where, you know, foods are just very scarce, our favorite and healthful foods. And I don't know if anybody ever saw the movie, I've watched it several times, The Road. Um, it's really a doomsday movie about, I mean, food is just, it's just scarce. It's just totally scarce. It's not like it is today where you can go into your grocery store and buy anything you want, even though the the prices are skyrocketing. And that's another thing, honey. Prices, it can't, they, they are getting higher. Because as some of the beekeepers are losing their colonies, you know, supply and demand.
0: What is your take on the ability for what's happening to the bees to be turned around?
1: As we talk, the researchers who I spoke with are researching or they're trying to figure out what's going on. I talked to California bee expert, Dr. Uh, Eric Mus- Munson. I got an exclusive interview with him. Quote, he says, quote, none of us know why the bees are not as vital as they used to be. In many cases, this may be due to limited access to good uh, varied supply of pollens. He hopes in our lifetime scientists will discover what is killing the honeybees, but he asked even if we find the cause, will we be able to overcome it? That's kind of spooky.
0: It's also a spooky response because to me, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out that between massive amounts of microwave towers and cell phones, massive amounts of chemtrail spraying of barium and aluminum in the air that's affecting all animals and all life, between those two and weather changes and everything else, it's obvious that it's happening. It's obvious.
1: True. There's another movie, The Happening, where, um, in the very beginning, they have a professor talking about, um, Albert Einstein. Now, it hasn't really been proven that Albert Einstein said this, but, um, if the bee disappears off the surface of the globe, then man would only have four years left, uh, of life left. Um, A lot of people attribute that quotation to Albert Einstein. I did not include it in the book because the Albert Einstein fans say that there is no proof that he said this. But I do believe that somebody with brains said something like this. And it could definitely be possible. So... Again, it's just a wake-up call that the honeybee is not just for honey and taking a teaspoon a day to fight fat. It's The picture is so much bigger than that. And so then you're probably thinking, well, what can you do to help the honeybee uh, stay alive and be well? Um, I got some ideas from the beekeepers and from the editor of Bee Culture Magazine. Um, it, it, he told me, and they told me, vote a portion of your property, if you can, to growing annual and perennial plants um, that bloom consecutive, consecutively over the whole season. The honeybees are collecting nectar and pollen for food. Reduce the pesticides of all kinds to a minimum. So important. Oh, never, I never, and I never is an absolute word, but I never use pesticides because of my two Britneys and cats. You know, in the summer, we get all sorts of things, you know, wasp and... Oh, gosh! What else do we get here in Tahoe? but just um lots of nasty bugs, and my brother will still use pesticides in the back house, and I freak because I just will not i will not you know we don't get fleas in Tahoe, thank God, but I just don't use pesticides because of my pets, so you don't you know if I'm afraid for my pets, can you imagine what they do to the little honeybee um so don't don't even use pesticides or to a minimum. And in areas with extended dry periods, supply fresh water in a way so that visiting bees don't become a nuisance. Also, what's interesting is... um, Bees can be a nuisance. I mean, if you have children or even you, if you, you could be allergic to getting stung by a bee. However, bees won't sting you unless they feel threatened, and then they will. But you don't, if you happen to get a colony um nestled at your home outside, like in a crevice in your home, out, you know, outside on the, what do you call it, outside of the house. Right. Um, instead of trying to deal with it yourself, call somebody a beekeeper that knows, or a bee removal service that knows how to do this properly. But they don't
0: hurt the bees, do exactly, they? Exactly,
1: that they can do it gently and they'll take the bees away in a humane way. You don't want to try and kill a whole colony yourself. In fact, just recently in the news, some man he, he was um, renovating an older home and he tried to do that and it backfired and I believe he died. The bees all stung him, and he died from that. So you don't want to put yourself in danger of getting stung because the bees will feel threatened, and they'll try and save their queen. Um, You want to contact the right person to help you do it. Um, It's the same thing here. I remember we had raccoons in my fireplace one summer. Can you believe (laughs) it? A mother raccoon and her three babies. Talk about being scared. My God, I was writing another book. I think I was writing The Healing Powers of Chocolate at the time, and I was very engrossed in my work and my study, and I would come out into the living room, and I would hear like a hissing sound, and I thought, you're, you're working too hard, and I kept ignoring it. It was almost like a scene out of that classic film, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, <laughs> where where she, what was her, Marnie? What, well, what's her name?
0: I can't either. God help us all. The
1: beautiful blonde. Um Oh, what's her name? She's in Hollywood. Um I can't think of her name. Senior moment, senior it's moment. Alright, will anyway, come she back. Go, she goes to the fireplace and because she, she hears, she thinks the birds could be in there and the audience is, is thinking, no, no, no. And then she opens, opens up the I don't know, some sort of door and all the birds fly out and get her and I kind of feel like I was like that with this fireplace because I have a, <laughs> um, well, I have this screen up under the fireplace and I opened it just wanting to see what's really in there and oh my god, I had four feral raccoons hissing at me. Gary. I called the fire department. They would not touch it. I called the police department. They would not touch it. It Took me three days to find the raccoon man to come and get these guys out safely one by one. It took him hours to do it. And he broke out. How did they do Uh, it? He took the, um, I believe he took the mother out first. And that was, that was really difficult.
0: I bet she was mad.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, and he put her next door, and she climbed up on the chimney of the next-door house, and then one by one, he took the babies out, and he put them in the garbage can and put a lid on it, but not tightly, and at night, I watched her. She took one baby at a time, and she relocated, and then we put something in our chimney, a mesh wiring, so they couldn't come down the chimney again. What
0: are they they doing in the chimney to get warm?
1: Yeah, because they were living in the fireplace, right, right. Poor thing. Right, and then she would go out at night and then bring back food to them. But, yeah, I wanted to do a children's book on that story.
0: That's a great story. It is. You
1: need to do it. I know, I know. Can't you just see it? I can. And it's a nice lesson for children growing up. You know, you don't, these, these animals were here before us. Indeed. You know, and you don't want to kill them. And people that live in Tahoe and other rural areas, they know they, you don't want to shoot these and kill them and, or, or the bears. They were here first. It's not fair. You want to, you want to, Get them away so we're not in danger, but get them away and, you know, safely. And that, it's a big deal in Tahoe, you know, with the bears too. And bears, you know, remember Winnie the Pooh who loved honey, back to honey.
0: I have clients in Tahoe and I remember coming up two years ago and seeing bears just walking around. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. They can do that. You know, the only bear that I saw. We live, we live at lake level, and we don't see a lot of bears here. But there was. A, I do predict earthquakes. And um, back in 2007, I believe October 30th, Alum Rock Park, 200 miles south from us in San Jose, had a 5.6 quake that was felt all the way up here into Reno. And one week prior. I saw a bear out in our front yard and there was a crowd of people and my dogs, my two Britneys were going bonkers. And I was in my research mode again in the study and I came out, opened the door and I said, what is going on? You're interrupting the reclusive author here. And all these people, locals and tourists were saying, there's a bear, there's a bear. And it's so funny. I said, oh, my God. And here I made this announcement to these people. I said, guess what, folks? There's going to be an earthquake either here at Tahoe or in the Bay Area within the next week. And they're all looking at me like I'm nuts. But I already had a forecast in the works for a quake. And I based it on abnormal um, animal behavior. Because at the time, my cat was acting out, being extremely vocal. My indoor kitty was just meowing up a storm and pacing. Scene. And my dogs were being very aggressive and very um, agitated and restless, which normally they're not. And this bear was—that was it. That was the last. That was the last thing. And we were having also four shocks in the Allen Rock, San Jose area, and like clockwork, that quake happened. And we we predicted it. Um, I and other sensitives on one of my my, my websites, earthquake um, epicenter forum, where. We, we, we all predicted it almost to the very hour, to the very minute, so it really didn't surprise me. But that bear, I believe that um, it got disoriented because, you know, of the changes of the electric um, magnetic the magnetic field. And that could go back to the honeybees, where a lot of people think that the honeybees may be, get, may be getting disoriented because of changes in the electric magnetic Electro
0: Magnetic. Absolutely.
1: I almost included that in the book, but then I thought, oh, no, I'll get way out there, and some people will think. But
0: it's not way out there because know, we have so much evidence from the microwave towers and the damage they're doing. Correct. Cell phones. So. And then
1: also go back to those strange, uh, remember when the blackbirds all fell out of the sky right. on New York's Eve in Arkansas, and they all just died? You know, and then uh, that was a huge mystery. Nobody knows really why they died. Uh, they were saying what that it was the fireworks. I never heard. I don't of believe that. that. I don't
0: believe that. I know. They think then, we're stupid when they make those announcements.
1: I know. And then they were saying chemtrails, and then they were blaming it on harp, and. I mean, it's kind of moving up the food chain. The animals, you know, if it's getting the birds, maybe the same thing that killed them killed the bees. But what's different here is that when these bees go AWOL, nobody finds them. We don't see them dead. That's what's spooky and mysterious. With those blackbirds, we saw their carcasses. We don't see that with with the honeybees that are victims of CCD colony collapse.
0: But same. maybe it doesn't all happen at the same time when they're all in their colonies. Maybe it's this one here and this one there. And
1: Yeah, but nobody even finds them here and there. That's the deal. The beekeepers just, you know, their, their colonies are gone. They don't see the dead honeybees on site. That's sight.
0: weird. What do you think about that?
1: I think it's really sad. I remember back uh, months ago in... Was it, uh, it was in Florida. They showed a beekeeper made national news. He was holding his hand, um, he was holding dead bees in his hands all over, all over his hands, just tons and tons of bees. And, um, it wasn't colony collapse disorder. It was, get this, it was, uh, pesticides. A helicopter, um, just a couple days before or the night before was spraying, uh, pesticides on mosquitoes in Florida. And guess what? It affected the, uh, The honeybees. So that is proof that pesticides definitely can affect the honeybees. I also do believe, I did talk to some beekeepers that use honeybees basically for pollination reasons, and they do transport them to different areas. And that is stressful to take an animal um, or a bee out of its habitat, and the travel can stress them out to the max. And I believe that could be, that definitely can affect the well being of the honeybee. That's
0: Um, a good point. Very My good gut point.
1: instinct picks up that's that's part of it and the pesticides for sure. But still I do believe that there's something a mystery that we just don't know that a missing link of the puzzle. There's a lot of things that could definitely be it, you know, affecting the honeybee.
0: Now, honey has made its name, you say, for its amazing powers in Greek mythology and writings of both Egyptians and Romans. Can you talk about that?
1: Right, I deal in a whole chapter, what is it, I'm chapter i I'm looking at page two? 23. Right, right, right. If we go back into 6,000 B.C. where cave paintings were actually made in Spain that showed men collecting honey from a bee colony. So bees have been around for ever since biblical times. Um and two two thousand six hundred BC, beekeep, beekeeping was established. Honey began to be used as medicine for beauty and trade. Um, that brings us back the present time. I was sent. Oh, just amazing. Um, lotions and creams and soaps where they use honey. Very addicting. You can do it yourself, use honey, you know, for your hair and for facials and for your skin, but you can also buy ready-made products that you get very spoiled. I mean, honey, honey soap, where it's made from honey is just amazing. It makes your skin feel so awesome. I have to share you another story that I had where the day where I visited the beekeeper in Reno and his queen bees, um, before that I went to a high-end um, hotel and I had a Manuka orange blossom honey bath. It was in a bear claw um, bathtub with 140 jets. It was like a hot tub. And they used a solution of Manuka honey, and I soaked in it for 20 minutes. Oh, my God, my skin felt so smooth. It was just amazing, wow. amazing. And you can buy these products for your own bath. You don't have to go off and pay money for this, you know, $50, $60 treatment. You can do it at home. But, oh, my skin, it just felt like silk. It was amazing. Um, and then back... I'm going back to the milestones. Honey has been used for centuries and centuries um, all around the world, all around the world. You mention
0: also honey cures with a lot of different symptomology from depression to cold sores, flu. Right,
1: right. People love home remedies, definitely. And I have a huge section in the book, Home Remedies from Your Kitchen, so much better than going to the doctor for little things if you don't have to or if your doctor is on vacation or on the weekend. If you ever notice bad things happen on the weekend. Case in point two weeks ago, oh my god my upper back molar, I was dying. I was dying. I had the worst toothache I've thought and I ended up using honey. I remember that Dr. Peter Molan, he's a researcher of Manuka honey and I remember he told me he used it on his gums and I wasn't sure if it was a tooth or a gum issue I just had my teeth professionally cleaned I just had them whitened and I thought what's up with this my teeth are perfect there's nothing wrong but I was dying I even called the dentist he was away um, saw the on-call, uh, dentist on Saturday. I looked out and she said it was a gum issue. I went to my dentist the following Monday and, uh, he just said, uh, plaque, and yelled at me, clean the tooth. Nothing was wrong. Thank God. I was thinking something bad, bad root canal, nothing, nothing was wrong. But, and I have no pain, everything's good to go, x-ray showed nothing, but I did use Manuka honey, I put it on it, a friend, I had a book signing to go to, and a friend brought me origel. I looked up on the uh, internet, all these terrible side effects from that, and I thought, no way am I using that, and I used Manuka honey, and um, I don't know if it hurt it, but... I mean, if it helped it, but I'm sure it didn't hurt it because, again, Manuka honey has the antibacterial and anti-inflammatory properties. So I felt kind of good putting that on my tooth where I knew I wouldn't have any severe reaction. But back to the home cures, toothache is one uh, um, and or gum, gum problems.
0: How about allergies?
1: Well, we talked about allergies earlier in the program. Again, you have to be with 50-mile right. radius from that. Um, for anxiety, it definitely can calm you down. I have put a little bit of honey in uh, chamomile tea, and teamed together, I definitely feel um, relaxed. Um I'm a type A person. My blood pressure is usually really, really good if everything is going my way. And when I keep swimming almost every day, I can keep it about 117 over 78, which is really good for someone of my age, a baby boomer. Um, I even did an experiment where I put a teaspoon of honey into a cup of chamomile tea and drank it, had the kitty cat on my lap and took my BP and it was great. It was good to go. So I do believe that it can calm you down. Um, there's reasons why in the book it's folklore. Again, you won't see scientific studies that honey can uh, beat anxiety at all. A lot of people would think that sugar can hype you up, but it is. But I do include that it's the reason why it may soothe your nerves and uh, lower anxiety levels, it could be because of the vitamin B content and anti-stress vitamin.
0: I was listening to Adele sing over the weekend and how she takes honey in water before she sings and while she's on stage. Hot water with honey. I thought that was Does interesting. Did
1: she do it too, probably for her voice to make Yeah, it, it
0: was for hoarseness and also a vocal cord.
1: Right, you know, it's funny. Um, I do a lot of talk shows um, as a guest, and some of the men love my raspy voice. They think it's soothing and sexy, but I'm kind of self-conscious about it. Um, I have used the honey lemon lozenges, the all-natural ones, and I probably should practice what I preach and drink the tea and honey before I do radio um, because I am prone to allergies and sinus um my my g p knows that my dentist know that, and i 've had that since I was a kid, so it doesn 't surprise me and most i think most lay people know that um also though it 's used for bedwetting um the vermont country doctor d c Jarvis very famous. He did a, a book on um apple cider vinegar. That's a huge best Um, he recommends one teaspoon teaspoon of honey at um uh, mealtime before bed. Um avoid giving water a few hours before bedtime, obviously, if you have children that have a bedwetting problem. Also, a caveat, it's very, very important. Never, never, never. I have the disclaimer right on the second page. I, I stress to put that, I emphasize to put that in there. Warning, warning, warning to avoid infant botulism. Do not feed honey to a baby who is younger than one year old. That is all over the internet. For some reason, it can... I, probably because the immune system is not strong. You do not want to give honey to an infant ever, ever, ever. That is so important. And I put it in the beginning of the book because I'm thinking when people get books like this, they'll go straight to the home cures and then they'll just, you know, give, it, give some honey to an infant not thinking that so I made that disclaimer definitely in the beginning of the book, and then I explain it more later on, um, in the chapter that honey isn't for everyone. Again, there's some people that honey, you just, um, you cannot take it, you cannot consume it. You can use it topically, you know, on your skin, like I mentioned earlier with the Manuka honey for a lot of things. But for some people, you cannot consume it.
0: And I hear it's great for burns
1: definitely, because of the antibacterial and the anti-inflammatory properties, just like apple cider vinegar, definitely, without a doubt. And for acne, too, it can, it can dry up acne, and it's not as acidic as apple cider vinegar, which is also good for acne, both of them. And also, this is, you know, honey is called a superfood. Dr. Ann Louise Gittleman she endorsed the book in the front of on the front cover of the book she says this is the most honey the most effective and versatile super versatile superfoods of all time. this book will help you stay healthy for good so again google it and you'll see honey is actually called a superfood it's not just something to drizzle on your toast and and be on your way it just you know, again I include fifty home cures from bad breath to muscle cramps, that has been proven. <clears throat> um, morning sickness, tension, wounds. Ah.
0: It's very complete. You have a great book. I loved your book on the healing powers of honey. <laughs>
1: I like all the anecdotes. I, again, I want to emphasize the fact fun that are so many stories uh, there that are just, it really, it's not a dry read. You can read an article about honey and it can bore you to death, just a basic health article, but this book comes to life where I talk about honeybees and just my stories with honey and the honeybees and other people's stories with honey and the honeybee. So it comes to life. It just, you don't have to read it from the very front to the end. You could jump around, or you can read it from the beginning to the
0: end. Well, I really loved it, and I want to thank you for joining us, and I'm very excited to do the Healing Powers of Chocolate with you, and to also cover the Healing Powers of Olive
1: Oil. <laughs> well, remember, coffee, coffee. Coffee's that's coming! To, that's coming out in July. It's already available for pre-order on Amazon.com. And coffee, that's something that both men, and, men and women adore. So many people love coffee. I do.
0: If you would like to find out more about Cal Ory, you can go to her website at com and order her books and see her articles. And I just really want to thank you for taking your time to write this book and the other books that you've written and really making these areas so enchanting and interesting and exciting. Thank you so much for joining us, Cal.
1: Thank you, Kim. Remember, honey, chocolate.
0: Vinegar, olive oil, and coffee. They're all superfoods.